We'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians this morning. One of the things I have uh, found that I like and don't like at the same time uh, is uh, preaching straight through a book. Uh, you have to sometimes deal with uh, passages that uh, you would otherwise uh, probably not deal with. Uh, you would skip over, have to deal with some topics that um, the, the truth is that um, pretty much every uh, whether they admit it or not, every pastor's got a handful of um, handful of topics that we kind of uh, that we circulate through uh, on a all too often basis. And so, uh, a friend of mine uh, was preaching. I don't remember what book he was preaching to, uh, but came across a passage on divorce. And he had three or four divorced ladies in his church uh, who on that Sunday got up and walked out. Uh, and so that is the, the challenge of preaching uh, straight through, but it does give us uh, the whole uh, counsel of God's Word. And uh, this morning our topic is one that uh, I would have probably not shied away from, but this is not the passage I would have used uh, to, uh, to, to preach that uh, particular topic. I want to speak to you uh, this morning on, on this topic on how uh, to have harmony. Uh, how to have harmony. Uh, and uh, particularly in the church. We, I think we know that we live in a, uh, in a time where uh, harmony and unity uh, are uh, far, uh, far removed from our everyday life. Uh, whether that be in our politics, in our workplace, uh, in our families, um, but uh, specifically uh, where it is important uh, is the church. Kind of, I think if you will keep scrolling down, you will eventually come uh, to, uh, to my outline. There you go. Uh, and, uh, but we, we, uh, it, the most, most important place we can have uh, a harmony and unity uh, is in uh, the body of Christ. And so this morning, uh, I want us to look at these words of uh, Paul. Obviously, there was uh, some little undercurrent in the church at Philippi uh, that Paul wants to uh, address. And as we think about uh, harmony and unity, uh, I want to start by, by getting you to think about for a moment, and I realize everybody is not a sports fan, but, um, and that's okay, uh, but uh, most of us have enough understanding of sports uh, to to, um, to at least grasp the idea. Uh, if I were to ask you this morning, uh, who is the most important player uh, on a football team? Uh, most people would probably say the quarterback. Now, there, there's some argument to that, I guess, but uh, most people would probably say the quarterback. But I also think that we all know that you can have the best quarterback there is, whoever that may be, and that would certainly bring up an argument. And if you surround him by a bunch of 100-pound weaklings, uh, in particular on that offensive line uh, in front of him, uh, then in all likelihood, he's not going to be that good. 
uh, and there's a really good chance he's going to be dead. Uh, because if, you, if you're trying to protect him from three and 400-pound defensive players with 100-pound weaklings, you can have the best quarterback in the world, uh, and he's, not, uh, he's probably not going to get you uh, very far. Same is true with uh, most any sports team. You, you can have a superstar, but you've got to surround them with, uh, you've got to, you know, one person, uh, while they, they may be extremely important and, and a, a kind of a, a deal breaker, but you've got to have uh, a team uh, around them. And that's uh, the case that, that I want to make for you this morning uh, about the Church of Jesus Christ and about Christianity. When I, uh, if you don't leave here uh, thinking anything else, I want everybody in here to know uh, that everybody uh, in the body of Christ, everybody uh, in the family of God uh, is important. Uh, you, you have a different, uh, everybody has a different role. Uh, you know, you can have the best preacher uh, in town, but if he doesn't have anybody to preach to, uh, then he's probably not getting much done. You can have the best singers, but again, if they don't have anybody to sing to. Uh, so uh, we are all uh, important. So it's important uh, that we have uh, that harmony. And Paul's going to list for us and I've got to move uh, quickly. I'm not, we're not going to look at but four verses this morning, uh, but there is uh, a lot of material uh, in these four verses regarding uh, harmony. Paul is going to uh, speak here uh, and give us seven things. And so again, seven. I've got to go uh, quick. If I, if I only spend 20 minutes on each one, we're going to be here till 2 o'clock. Uh, yeah, uh, we've got seven, seven things Paul mentions here this morning uh, that are critical elements uh, of, of harmony uh, inside uh, of the church. So look with me uh, at uh, the passage. Says, so if there's any uh, consolation or encouragement is really uh, probably a better word for us today uh, to understand. If there's any consolation or encouragement uh, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, uh, fulfill or complete my joy uh, by being of the same mind. And so there's Paul's plea uh, that the people, the, ch the church at Philippi, uh, would be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind again, uh, doing nothing from selfish ambition or concede or vanity, but uh, in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Seven things that Paul is going to list here uh, that are critical uh, for unity, for harmony uh, inside of God's church. I don't know, uh, as I study this, I'm not sure I can, uh, matter of fact, I'm positive. I can't look at these uh, and tell you that one uh, is more important than the other. This is a, uh, a package uh, deal. But uh, Paul begins with that word consolation or uh, Again, uh, encouragement. And, uh, and so he says that the first thing that uh, has to happen uh, for there to be uh, for there to be 
Harmony is this idea, uh, again, of consolation, or this idea uh, of encouragement. Uh, and again, this is a word that, uh, that permeates Scripture. The Bible uh, is meant to be uh, an encouraging book. Christianity is meant to be a consoling uh, uh, religion. Uh, the Bible tells us, again, uh, the idea of the Holy Spirit is to be a, uh, to be a comforter. Uh, and so the idea of being uh, encouraging, being a uh, consoler, uh, is the first uh, piece of, uh, of, of having unity. Uh, nothing will uh, destroy the unity uh, of a church. Nothing will destroy the unity uh, of anything, for that matter, uh, more than someone uh, who is constantly uh, discouraging, someone uh, who is constantly uh, uh, negative and uh, complaining. And so uh, this word uh, means, a, a, again, a comforter, a, uh, an exhorter, uh, an encourager. Uh, many of the modern translations uh, translate it that way as uh, being a, uh, an encouragement. And if you think about it, that is simply being like Jesus. To be like Christ is to be uh, an encourager. Uh, I, I don't believe uh, that any of us think for a moment that anyone ever met Jesus and walked away going, man, he's a downer. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think Jesus ever walked into a room. You know, I, I, I've said before, uh, some of you heard me say this, that everybody brightens a room. Some when they come in and some when they leave. Uh, but everybody brightens the room. I don't think Jesus ever walked into the room, uh, and even when he was bringing uh, the message, even when he was condemning sin, uh, Jesus was always uh, encouraging, because even when Jesus condemned sin, he always offered a solution. He always offered uh, a solution. Even though he condemned sin, uh, he came preaching forgiveness. He came preaching the kingdom of God. And so uh, Jesus, even uh, when he had a message that, that hurt uh, a little bit, was, was encouraging. Some of you, uh, you probably, uh, like me, I know people who can say, I love you, and they kind of discourage you, kind of make you mad. I mean, it's, you know, they just have a, a tone about them. They have uh, an attitude about them. Well, uh, we need to pray uh, that as believers, that as a, uh, as a church, uh, that we are uh, encouraging, that we are uh, uplifting. Listen, now that doesn't mean, uh, I know we, we, we live in a time where uh, there are a lot of guys on television who are uh, selling sunshine, uh, you know, and, and it's always, uh, you know, they don't want to deal with the issue of sin. They don't want to deal uh, with the negative. Listen, you've got to preach on the negative. It's there too. But again, the beauty of preaching on the negative, the beauty of talking about sin, is that I can stand here this morning and I can... I can can rant and rave about sin, but when I'm done, I can also tell you that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, so you can have forgiveness for that sin. And so even when we deal with difficult topics, uh, we have the promise of the Word of God here uh, of encouraging. Again, the very heartbeat of Jesus Christ, the very heartbeat uh, of the Holy Spirit uh, is to encourage. That's why, again, He's known as a comforter, to strengthen, uh, to come alongside of uh, is the idea of 
of the word uh, paraclete there for the Holy Spirit. And so as believers, listen, we, we need to understand the importance uh, of being uh, encouraging, not uh, mumbling, and, and I like the biblical word, murmuring. Uh, yeah, that's a better word. I like that word. I don't think for most of us, anybody needs a definition of the word murmuring. I think just, that's just one of those words that when you hear it, you go, yeah, I, I've, I know what that is. I've seen that before. A murmurer. You know, anybody ever work with a murmurer? Have a relative that's a murmurer? Yeah. You, 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 don't, you, no, nobody, you don't need Mr. Webster to define murmuring. You've seen it. You, you know what it is. Don't do it, is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the church ought to be a place uh, that's safe uh, from murmuring and, and, and complaining uh, that weaken, uh, again, uh, the, the, the unity of the church. Just to kind of put it in context for you, the word that is translated here, consolation or encouragement, is the very same word that was used, the, word, the Greek word paraclete is the very same word that is used as the name, the description of the Holy Spirit. That really ought to put encouragement, that ought to put consolation uh, in the right light when we understand uh, that, that we uh, deal with uh, the conflict, that we deal uh, with those things and, and, and it be encouraging to one another. Again, that, we, that, that, that breeds unity. That breeds harmony. You know, who wants to go gather with a group of people that are discouraging? Who wants to be around that? When we come into God's house, we ought to come in with the idea of being an encourager. If you are the only believer in your workplace, well, you ought to be the encourager in your workplace. You ought to be the encourager in your family. Now that, that's simply being like Jesus. And discouragement, discouragement, you, you've seen it, discouragement brings about uh, the opposite of unity. If you work with somebody, if you're around somebody who is a murmurer and a complainer, what happens when the murmurer in your workplace or in your family starts their murmuring. In a moment, somebody else joins them. And in a moment, two more join them. And in a moment, four join them. And before long, it's like a wildfire. I remember years ago, when I first was on the fire department, the first fire I ever went to was a brush fire. And I had my back. Now, if you, if you were ever in part of this, you would never in your life have a real Christmas tree in your house. Uh, I was uh, standing there, and we were, you know, the fire was in the grass around. What I didn't realize, it was kind of coming up behind me. And it got to a cedar tree. And what had been just a little tiny kind of in some grass fire, when it hit that cedar tree, it sounded like a bomb going off. Like somebody had threw gas on it. That's what happens when one person begins to murmur. I want to challenge you today. Listen, I'm not saying we don't point out legitimate things that need to be corrected and problems. I, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not a sunshine seller. Uh, 
you know, there's things that need to be fixed. But there's a way to do it. Again, even when Jesus pointed out problems, he always offered solutions. If you, got, if you see a problem, come with a solution. A consoler. Second thing Paul's going to speak of is a comforter. I realize that word's very close, but he goes on. And notice this. Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. Well, is there encouragement in Christ? Is there any consolation in Christ? We're going to pause right here for a minute. If there be any consolation in Christ. Is there any consolation in Christ? Thank you. If there, and that if applies to this, if there be any comfort in Christ, is there any comfort in Christ? What Paul is saying is if there is consolation in Christ, and if there is comfort in Christ, then there should, and Christ is in you, then shouldn't there be consolation and comfort in you as well? It's kind of like that thing about salad and lettuce and all that stuff. Here's my theology. Cow eats the lettuce, I eat the cow, therefore I got the lettuce. If Christ has consolation and comfort in him and Christ is in me, then consolation and comfort should be in me as well, right? So Paul says, if there's any in him, then it should be in you. Anything that is in Christ, he says, should be in you as well. Curious thing about this word. You might think uh, that this word was littered all over the New Testament, but it's a word that's used very seldom. It's only used here, and it's used when discussing the experience of Christ's love. The comfort of knowing the love of Christ. And here. That's the only place this word is used. And so you and I are called to bring about the comfort of the love of Christ. Woo, you talk about a big job. That's our challenge here. Listen, when we realize, and this is that word again, that, that idea of agape love, when they realize, when we realize that we are partakers of the unconditional love of God, then if that love is in us, then Paul says we can go out and we comfort others with that same unconditional love. Some of you in here are old enough to remember the old Hank Williams song, You Got No More Money, Honey, I Got No More Time. Y'all remember that one? Well, that's not unconditional love. Unconditional love says, I love you no matter what, like Jesus did. Listen, it's that kind of love that drives us to keep the unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a love that says, if Debbie will do this, then I'll love her back. It's a love that says, I'm going to love Debbie no matter what she does. That's unity, folks. That's what brings about 
harmony and unity in the church when we practice the, the comforting, encouraging love of Jesus Christ. When we share the love that God has placed in us, it's a love that's selfless and sacrificial. Listen, I said a while ago, I don't know which one is the most important. And I don't know which of the, my, my, my points this morning, or Paul's points actually, are the most important. But I will tell you what the foundation of all of it is. It is unconditional love. It's loving our brothers and sisters no matter what. They may not sing like we sing. They may not dress like we dress. They may not talk like we talk. But we love them with the love of Jesus Christ. See, I will assure you, you don't walk, you don't talk, you don't dress like Jesus did, and He loved you anyway. And so... The basis, the undergirding of unity is in that love. The, 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 we, 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 I can't, I don't have, I'm not eloquent enough this morning to express to you how desperately this world needs and wants to see a body of believers who practice unconditional love. I do demographic reports for churches all the time, all over, everywhere. I have access to the program, and I'll pull their demographics. And one of the things that, one of the things I can, that I get a report on when I do that says, the question is, why, two groups, why are you no longer involved in a church, or why are you not involved in a church? One of the two. Either you've been involved and you quit, or you never have been involved. And I don't think I have ever pulled one of those reports for any area that the number one reason wasn't the church, church people are too judgmental. Not that they ask for money too much, or I didn't like the music, or I didn't like the preacher, any of those kind of things. The number one reason, almost, I, I can't, I, there may have been one, but I don't remember it. Number one is almost always. That I, matter of fact, again, I'm going to say always, best, to the best of my knowledge, always been. The church is, church people are too judgmental. That doesn't sound a great deal like unconditional love to me. The church is the, the world is starving for a church. I will guarantee you, if we practice unconditional love, people will beat a path to our Jesus. Because they'll know that Jesus had to cause that, because that's not normal. That's not how people uh, normally act. Third thing that he says, not only any, is there any encouragement, if there's any encouragement, if there's any comfort, he says, if there's any participation in the Spirit. Third thing is community. Has to be community. Participation. The word again there is the word koinonia. Some of you have heard that word over the years. It simply means fellowship. 
We have fellowship, communion, uh, participation, the, the idea of, of, of commonality. Look what he says. And he's not saying, look, look what he says. He says, if there be any participation or commonality, if there be any solidarity with the Spirit, it doesn't say if Tommy and I have any commonality. Tommy and I are different. We have different likes. We have different talents. We have, you know, we're, we're different. Everybody in this room, we're all different. We, it doesn't say we all have to be alike. What he says is the basis of unity is understanding our commonality in the Spirit. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit lives in you, lives in me, lives in Melissa, lives in Shay, lives in CD. The same Spirit. Paul says you have the same, you are of the same bloodline. You are of the same family. Quit your petty squad. Listen, let me say, by the way, I don't know, one of the greatest things I've ever, as pastor, and I don't know if she remembers sharing it, and I don't have permission to share it, but I don't think she would mind. Sherry made a comment one time several years ago, not long after they, they started coming to church here. She made the comment something about she had never been in a church where there wasn't any squabbling, or I forgot how she worded it now. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. My little heart went pitter-patter. Listen. I thought, just stick around. Somebody, you get mad at somebody. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but listen, that, that, that we are, listen, we're going to have the church. We don't have any of that going on. This message is not in response to. It is a vaccine. I might not have used that word. It is an inoculation. It's because it was the next passage in Philippians. I don't have anything in my mind going on that I'm talking about. But listen, we ought to understand that we, that our commonality, our community in the Holy Spirit ranks above everything else. We are one in Jesus. Here's the thing I struggle with. I'm trying my best to figure out how some people are going to spend eternity together when they can't spend an hour together without getting in a fight. How are you going to spend eternity together when you can't spend a few hours together without gossiping and slandering? I just can't imagine this conversation on the streets of gold. Did you see that robe she was wearing today? Did you see them wings? How she's got them all bedazzled? Yeah. Look at that mansion. That's just so tacky. Need to take their Christmas lights down. It's March. You know. Can you imagine those kind of things going on in heaven? Why do they go on here? We are one in the Spirit. We are one family. Listen, it, we, we, it, it, this phrase refers to having the same convictions, the same beliefs. Listen, it says we have a, a commonality. Most of all, it means we have a mutual responsibility. 
we all have the same job. I mentioned a while ago which athlete was the most important on the team. Well, here's the truth. Every player on that team has a different job. Some punt the ball, some kick the ball, some throw the ball, some run the ball, some never touch the ball. They're just supposed to be big and knock somebody down. Yeah, that's their job. But you know what? Every one of them have the very same job. They may all have a micro job, but they all have the same main job. And that is to score the most points and win the game. I may preach, you may sing, you may teach, you may do neither of those, you may mow the yard, you may carry out the trash, you may change the sign, you may run the sound, you may make sure the lights are on or the doors are locked, you may make sure the flowers are pretty, you may make sure whatever, but every one of us, none of our jobs are more important than the job. And that is to point people to Jesus Christ. That's the job. I think about, and, and, and I don't want to go, I know this is dangerous in, in NASCAR territory. And I don't even know if they still have it or not. Well, I'll use a different example than the automobile history. You know what Walt Disney says their number one task is? Anybody got a clue? Anybody? Nope. Nope. You know what they say their number one job is at Walt Disney? The safety of their guest. Because if you're not safe, you're not happy. If you're not safe, you didn't have a good time. Everybody there, while you may put a kid in a ride, you may sell a ticket, you may dress up in a costume, you whatever. You may be, I know one of the things they have to take, I think you said bug, was you saying the bug and the smog, whatever. I know one of the things they have to worry about down there is the, the mosquitoes in, in, around uh, Florida. But again, all those things fall under the heading of safety. We are to participate. Our job is we are to be together in the Spirit of God. We are to have that community. Notice he goes on. He says, if there be any encouragement, if there be any comfort, if there be any participation, if there be any affection, fourth thing is compassion. Compassion. Compassion naturally comes out of these first three. To have that desire, to have that love. Again, compassion should be stirred in us because we have experienced the compassion of Jesus Christ. I'm going to mess up what he says, but our, the new executive director for the state convention... He's kind of got a motto like this, and I'm going to, I'm going to mess it up. But, but I, I'm going to get it close. He says, here's, my, here's what I want us to be. I want us to show grace. And if we are wronged, and we will be wronged, I want us to think the best 
of the person who wronged us. That's compassion. Somebody's going to say something or do something that hurts your feelings. Love them anyway. Compassion, Paul says. Listen, compassion. It was compassion that drove... How many... Let me ask you... You don't need to raise your hand because I kind of already know the answer. How many of you got saved and accepted Christ the very first time, the very first moment the Holy Spirit began to convict you? And how many of you ran for a while? You don't need to raise your hand because I already pretty much know the answer. Most of us run for a while. The Holy Spirit dealt with us and pursued us and convicted us and kept, kept working until finally we accepted Christ. See, it was the compassion of God that allowed the Holy Spirit to pursue us even when we rejected Him. That's what Paul's talking about. Even if Debbie says something mean and nasty about me, my job as a believer is to be compassionate and to forgive her. Right after I pop her in the head. Compassionate. Compassion. See, I forgive her, pop her in the head, now she's got to forgive me. See, that's how that works. No, I'm just but he says that we, we are to be compassionate to it. It's that force that drives us. When we were in rebellion against God, he continued to pursue. He continued to ch- chase us, continued to go after us. It is compassion. What would happen if in the church we were driven by compassion to those uh, even that we would go after, even those who have been hurt, even those who have differences with us, even those uh, who have withdrawn, even those that have uh, problems, even those that were critical. What would happen in the church if we were compassionate? Can you imagine the transformation? Just think for a moment. How many people who are sitting home this morning who have been hurt, who have been broken, who have been injured, just think how many of those could be reconciled if the church of Jesus Christ would be compassionate? You know as well as I do. The general attitude is, well, they know where we are. They can come back whenever they want to. If that was your son or daughter, would you feel the same way? Some of you have been there. Some of you have had a son or daughter that strayed. And I'm not talking about, I'm not about from you in, in your family. Somebody who, who there's been a damaged relationship with a son or a daughter. And you've cried and you've moaned and you've done everything you knew to do to try to reclaim that person. What if the church had that same one little lost lamb mentality towards compassion to those that have been hurt and broken and are no longer in the body? Can I make a submission to you? As long as there is one believer 
who is sitting home, hurt, broken, and out of the fellowship with their local family of believers, there is not complete unity in the church. Anybody in here ever had a family reunion with an empty seat at the table? You can put a fine meal out there and you can act up and you can dress up and you can go on and that one family member that doesn't come, that one family member that doesn't participate in the gatherings, that hurts, doesn't it? It ought to hurt when we look around and we think about those who belong in the body of Christ who have been hurt. Maybe it was their fault. Who cares? It was my fault I was lost. It was my fault I was on the way to hell. I was a sinner. I was lost. And Jesus Christ came looking for me in His compassion. If it's in Christ, it ought to be in you. You ought to have that same compassion that he had, that he reached out. And, and, and he is, again, he, Paul is uh, playing on our emotions here and reaching out and, and claiming, uh, again, reminding them of what Christ had done for them. Number five. We've got to move quickly. Number five, completion. He goes on and he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Listen, the believers in the church are to be concerned with the joy of others. Paul says, make my day. Complete my joy. Fulfill my joy. He says to the Philippian church, you by your actions can complete my joy. Let me ask you a real quick question this morning. I'm not going to stay here long. Let me just, are you guilty of completing someone's joy or robbing someone of their joy? That's our task. That brings you, listen, the believer, the, the church, our responsibility is, is to bring joy. And listen, what brings joy? The unity in the body. The unity in the body. Listen, the, the leaders here, uh, listen, the task, the church, well, was to bring uh, about joy. And let me tell you something. Criticism, murmuring, I'll use that word again, those don't do anything to help joy. Time out. I'm going to come over here a minute. If you have, a, and, and most of you are part of this church family, if you have a complaint, a, legitimate or otherwise, would you please be so kind? as to wait until Monday and call me. Please, when I'm getting ready to preach, I'd just soon not hear about how you don't like the British flag flying or whatever. 
Because let me tell you something. First of all, I don't care. Second of all, I can't reach it. Yeah. I'll sit on your shoulders if you want me to. That's the deal. I'll, you know, if you want it down, I'll get on your shoulders piggyback. See if we can get it down. Yeah. If you got to complain about the music, don't go tell Archie right before the service. People's souls are at stake. Don't go tell your Sunday school teacher how last week he taught too long right before he gets ready to teach this week. Okay, I'm back. Murmuring does nothing for joy. Complaining does nothing for joy. Clicks while I'm there. Might as well drop that one in. Do nothing for joy. We are to be complete in the Spirit, he says. Sixth, constraint. Whew, this is a tough one. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Unity in love means I put you first. I have to hold me back because human nature is to trample you to get in front. Okay? Let's just be honest. There's a few people who don't have that trait, but most of us, when it really comes down to it, we'll, you know, we'll run over somebody. It's my turn to teach. It's my turn to sing. I want to, you know, I want. Ah, ah, ah. Paul says, don't do anything out of selfishness, pride. Listen, um, my mind went blank. I, I want to give him credit. One of the old church fathers, St. Christopher, said this. said, there is nothing so foreign to a Christian as arrogance. There is nothing so far to a, so foreign to a Christian as arrogance. Look at the life of Jesus Christ. If anybody ever had the right to be arrogant, if anybody ever had the right to be proud, it was him. And nothing but humility ever came along. The conductor of a symphony was asked, what is the most difficult instrument to play in the entire orchestra? He responded, second fiddle. Or excuse me, let me be more, second violin. I'm from the south, they fiddles. Second violin. He said, everybody wants to play first violin. But not just everybody wants to play second violin and not just everybody can play second violin, but without second violin, we don't have harmony. I'll never forget all my life, sitting in a class in seminary, and everybody in this room knows the name Dr. Jerry Falwell. I can't remember it, very few people could. Very few people know he's existed. But he wrote a book entitled Leading from the Second Chair. He was 
Dr. Falwell's right-hand man, more or less his associate pastor, that no one knew, that no one recognized, but was in in all the decision-making and everything that went on at Thomas Road Baptist Church. And I remember him coming in and talking about that to the class. He says, some of you are not going to be the lead. Some of you are going to have to learn to lead from the second chair. Pride will destroy the unity of a church, of a home, of a workplace. Paul says, get rid of it. And then finally, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Finally, is concentration. We have to put our mind on unity. We have to concentrate on harmony because Satan, his, one, of his, his, one of his primary goals in his work is to bring disharmony and disunity into the church, into your home, into your family, into your workplace. Anybody in here who has been married longer than an hour knows how easily unity in the home can be broken and how often it is that it's, let's just be blunt, over something stupid. Not something major. Something crazy. Something that, even if you get your way, doesn't matter. How many of you ever heard of a church fighting over doctrine, over scripture, over theology? You've heard of some of that. But how many times has it been over what color carpet to buy, which hymnal to sing out of, which translation of the Bible to sing, whether the women ought to wear dresses, whether the men ought to wear coat and ties, you know, stuff that just don't matter. I told you before, my greatest story of church disunity is the church that was growing and God was blessing and they were building a new building and they got down to the end of equipping and decorating their new building and trying to decide whether to put in green chalkboards or black chalkboards and busted the church over chalkboards. It takes concentration. It takes effort to stay unified. It's not easy. It, it, it's, listen, we have to put our attention on unity. We have, whether, again, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our workplace, but especially in our church, we have to concentrate on being like Christ. Because every one of these things we've talked about this morning are traits of Jesus Christ. And we have to work on those things. Listen, you can't focus on yourself. You can't focus on anything else. 
It's natural. Paul says here, talks about looking on our own interest. It's natural to look after our own interest. But Paul says we focus on the other. Whether you're talking about war, or whether you're talking about some athletic game, it is of the utmost importance that the team, the unit, whatever, be cohesive and be unified. How many times have we seen, we've seen, I'm going to, pardon me, I'm going to drift down a bad road for a minute. We've seen great rock groups over the years busted up. Could have been multimillionaires busted up over arrogance and pride in the group. We've seen sports teams who could have been dynasties busted because of, unit, uh, because of arrogance. We've seen churches that could have been doing a great deal of difference for the kingdom busted because of, because of arrogance. Listen, Paul tells the Philippians, think the same thing, have the same mind, and change your thinking. To think, not of yourself, but like Jesus thought, of the greater good. Of the greater good. Can I suggest to you today, that I mentioned a while ago there are people sitting home. Can I say to you today that probably everyone in this room has a loved one, a family member, or a friend who has chosen to not be part of a church, chosen to not be part of the body of Christ because they have seen the fighting and arguing and mumbling and complaining in the church. While I'm there, can I, can I give you something else for free? If you're going to badmouth your church, if you're going to badmouth the people you go to church with, do it at home without your children present. All week long they hear you trash the pastor, trash the church, trash the music, and then you get up on Sunday and say, Okay, Johnny, let's go to church. You're right. Don't do it in the restaurant when little all the ears are listening. If you got to do it, get in your car and talk to yourself. Better yet, if you're going to do it, get in your prayer closet and talk to God. See if He agrees with you. See if He agrees with you. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I want to ask you this morning. I want to encourage you. I want to beg you. I, I just tell you, I, I beg you. I believe the church, this church and the church as a whole, coming out of, coming through wherever we are in this COVID pandemic, in this new changing world we live in, we have opportunities and we have problems. And we need more than ever 
to be unified for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to challenge you this morning. If you're a child of God, if you're a believer, whether you're here, whether you're online, I want to ask you to come and to kneel, kneel where you are, sit in your chair. But, and, and as you go out this week, I want you to pray, not just for the unity of Poplar Grove Baptist Church, but for the unity of the body of believers. We're stronger together. We quit fighting among ourselves. Quit fighting among each church. And we come together with the gospel of Jesus Christ and be like Jesus. Would you pray that prayer? God, help us to be that way. But this morning you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ. The first thing you've got to do is get on the team. If you don't know him personally, if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, would you come this morning? Let me show you from God's Word. If you're online, email me, text me. I want to show you how you can know Jesus Christ personally. How you can know the comfort and the consolation, the compassion that only comes from Jesus. Father, we thank you today for all you do. God, we thank you for Paul's words. God, timely words for the church of Jesus Christ. And God, we pray today that you would stir in us harmony, unity, that we'd have the mind of Christ, have the pursuits of Christ, thinking more highly of each other than we do ourselves. And we'll give you the honor for what you do in, the, in our hearts and lives today, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand. <clears throat> for unity in the body of believers. And I want it to begin with me. Help me to think more highly of others than I do myself. To do nothing through vain ambition, arrogance. Appreciate you. Oh. I guess we'll sing another verse. Waiting on you. Thank y'all.
we dismiss, uh, again, remind you of the coats and the soap and the Operation Christmas Child boxes, uh, the offering plates. Um, you, you can give something today. We've got all kinds of giving going on. And so uh, thank you for being part of those things. Uh, also going to give back to you today, remind you uh, that this coming Saturday from 5 to 7, uh, we'll be doing Trunk or Treat here uh, in the parking lot. Um, we'll line up along the front of the, this building here um, and pop your trunk. And uh, again, you don't have to, but I would suggest putting your candy in individual bags uh, so the kids are not all digging through the same uh, container. Uh, in saying that, um, yeah, I see it now. Uh, we have um, a pile uh, of candy back there um, on the table, uh, but I don't know how you're going to take it home now that I think about it. Um, but take it home and use it. If you're doing trunk or treat, we're going to help you fill up your bags. I um, uh, accumulated a bunch of candy. Uh, a while back, and so I've uh, been saving it for this. So there, there's a pile of, a couple big containers full of uh, hard candy back there. Um, again, looking for between 150 to 200 based on uh, last year. And so love to have you be part of that. It's a great time. It's a great opportunity to meet the people in our community and uh, and uh, learn some of them and let them uh, meet us. And so remember that this coming Saturday. Uh, again, the, the invite cards are back there uh, on the table uh, as well. Um, so remember those things. All right, let's bow as we dismiss this morning. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be here today. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. Uh, God, for your sweet spirit that we have enjoyed here today. God, just ask you now that you go with us. God, help us uh, again to have harmony, to be unified uh, in serving you. We'll give you uh, the honor for all that you do. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.